Welcome back to A Bro's Guide to Glitter. Today, we'll be talking about feelings. We'll be debunking the biology of feelings, discussing the evolution of therapy, and of course, talking about how we ourselves handle feelings. I have a one-of-a-kind guest for you all today. There's two big reasons I chose him to discuss today's topic. First off, when I was brainstorming topics for this podcast and asked people for suggestions, he was the one to suggest feelings. Also, being 56 years old, he's naturally going to have a lot more of an arc within this topic compared to most of my friends in their 20s. He grew up outside of Chicago, Illinois with five older siblings. He studied at University of Illinois, DePaul University, the Wharton School at UPenn, and Harvard. I don't know who let him into law school and business school, because to me, he's just a no-good hooligan. And, you know, it's a funny story about how we met. Uh, it's a crazy happenstance. He actually married my mom before I was born. Uh, and coincidentally we live in the same house so that's crazy uh i didn't expect that but please meet my dad matthew gloss hello sarah coco love i'm so overjoyed to be here with you thank you for having me thank you for being on the podcast you're welcome so how does it feel to be the oldest guest on the podcast so far It, it feels uh, I've achieved a mark of distinction. That's good it's to know. Wonderful. That's good to know. <laughs> so as we were discussing this podcast, we ran into a bit of a disagreement on terms because you see feelings and emotions as two different things. I Can do. you define I that difference for us? I, um, I can describe the difference between emotions and feelings by comparisons and examples. I, I can also define the difference between emotions and feelings uh, by sequential order, uh, even by reference to like English, right? When we were in English, there's the predicate and the object of a sentence, right? The thing that came first, the, the thing that came second. I feel, Sarah, that feelings and emotions uh, can be thought of like predicates and objects in a sentence, meaning that the feeling comes first and the emotion can manifest that. Uh, very basic. I, I, on a comparison basis, I, I think that um, the feelings are like the soil and emotions are the flowers that grow in the soil. And so- like the object follows the predicate, the flowers follow the soil. Um, so I, I think there is a, a relationship there between feelings and emotions. So they, they move around and they morph and where one crosses over to the other, I don't know. Uh, but I, I do feel that feelings and emotions are distinct, but related. So Interesting. this, this so is what I feel, or maybe it's what I think. That makes sense. So feelings are felt and emotions are expressed. Yeah. 
So if anything, as you're describing it, I'm thinking, huh, okay, so maybe I should title this episode Emotions. If you know and we're the f- emotion. Sam <laughs> right? Because if the thing then that uh men are expected to do, like I don't think that like men are expected to be robots, but it's that they're expected to be stoic, you know, and therefore uh suppress certain emotions or certain emotional expressions. This is I, I think this is true. I I, I think that also though um, on a gender basis, men have uh, more latitude to be emotional and to express emotion, especially anger and rage, right? The athletics is uh, competition, right? Certainly yes. warfare. Um, and being the, the alpha male for yes. no other way to describe it. There's a latitude there that men are given for oppression that um, women are not. And I think that when you think about acting on aggression, that that can manifest emotion. So what I find interesting is that there is some emotion that men are permitted. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's darker. It's, it's more aggressive. That's a very good point because I do think that the the emotions that men are told not to feel are the ones that are considered uh, feminine, the ones that are like sadness or softness, uh, heartbreak, uh, melancholy. Mm-hmm. And when you feel that you're like supposed to be tough or like stoic about it. But with men expressing anger, that's a really good point because I... I mean, obviously, we'll get into talking about fighting and how we raise boys and anger and all that stuff. But um, I was never in a fight with any girl, you know, and I really don't. I mean, this is something that we've talked about, uh, you and I, but I haven't had the outlets to express anger and rage in the way that I've been given outlets to express sadness or disappointment. And because I think that um, when girls are upset about something that not necessarily makes them angry, but just makes them sad, there's, it's the, what is it? There's this mechanism, it's off the top of my brain. It's like defend and befriend. Mm -hmm. or retreat and befriend something like that where basically human survival tactics fight or flight uh, yeah fight or flight but how some specific animals are specifically fight or specifically flight um Mm -hmm. humans have this very specific in between which is to go which is to take a second and go to friends for help and i think that for women that help arrives more when it's like oh i'm so sad like this you know i got dumped or i didn't get the part or whatever but i don't really get the same uh help with man i just want to you know bust a cap in someone i mean not that i uh go to people and say i want to bust a cab in someone but if i just text friends saying hey i'm angry then they're like damn that sucks but i get more help 
if I say, hey, I'm sad. And I don't know if guys, I don't know if guys will text each other, hey, I'm pissed, and guys will say, yeah, let's beat him up. Um, but I mean, that's just my own social circle. I I think there, I think what you say is that there are differences, uh, the yeah. gender differences and uh, gender bias differences and what's acceptable and what's not from the genders on the basis of emotional displays where, you know, females will have, females will have one expected gender response, which is not to be angry or pissed, but to be sad. Right. Yeah. And, and men will have the opposite. And, and each, each gender is reinforced and rewarded for their expected gender emotional expression um i uh, i i i agree with that i i see that uh i and what's interesting too right is uh so where you know males are uh, allowed to um, express emotions of anger rage aggression assertiveness alpha maleness they're not encouraged to show feelings Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and whereas females are allowed to show feelings, but maybe not to express emotions. Right. Mm. Um, I, I agree with you on the stoic male. That's absolutely true. So I, I think for the most part, there is a stoicism that's expected and accepted from males. Um, and, and 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 that's a gender difference in, in the emotion and the feeling, I think. I feel. Yeah, and this word stoic I actually pulled from from my research. Uh, Psychology Today used the word stoic and brought up examples such as like John Wayne and like Clint Eastwood. All, Very cool. For some reason, yeah, Psychology Today loves the Hollywood uh, archetypes. Exactly archetypes, um, and I I do think that there's many other versions of acceptable men to be who are more uh emotional and expressive and especially the ones who are uh fighting who are warriors yeah right it's it's all good i i, lo I love it let me just say up front emotion and here's another comparison um uh, uh feeling is the carnival and emotion is the cotton candy, right? The concentrated mm. sweet that's just so uh, amazing. I love emotion. I love feeling. I feel they're entwined. Um, I think it's really good to be in touch with your emotions and feelings. I think everybody, male or female, has emotions and feelings. I think yeah. they're there for the, the reason. I think mm -hmm. they're evolutionary. Um, I think they're one of God's gifts to us, our ability to feel and to emote that feeling. It's communication. Um, and you can receive that from people too. You also project it, but I love absorbing people's emotions and feelings. Good positive <laughs> emotions and yeah. feelings. That's my favorite. <laughs> you know, the drama is always just so challenging. Um, but um so I, I like emotions, feelings. It, it's a, a full life, right? It's the uh, wine is a great meal. Yeah. You know, you bring up the idea of enjoying feelings. And as an actor, many actors at one point or maybe even multiple points will be given an emotion wheel. 
and it's like a giant wheel where from the center is like breaking into like broken into four or six parts that's like happy sad worried and then from there it gets more specific like jubilant joyous zany and uh gets into very specific emotions and it, it's about bringing specificity to your character and your moment but what that goes to show is that when we think about feelings and emotions when we talk about it in everyday life we it's to talk about the bad emotions we have or the bad feelings mm-hmm. or to say someone mm-hmm. hurt my feelings why are you so I'm emotional right exactly exactly and when it is um when it is positive it's because it'll be related to love or friendship um but that's that's only one very that's one or wealth i'm feeling rich i'm feeling lucky (laughs) (laughs) okay but maybe that's just you mr capitalist (laughs) hey there's nothing wrong with capitalism let me tell you it built this country you're so funny, Dad. Uh, don't cancel him, please. He's just a Gen Xer. <laughs> That's right. I'm not baby boomer. <laughs> uh, but like, it's just it's just one slice of the many happy emotions you can have that we don't talk Agreed. about. Oh yeah, like oh absolutely. Um, I I I do think of it. I really like the soil and the flower comparison myself mm-hmm. um because i think that that indicates the really the great depth that you should understand feelings right i mean soil really soil has to be um super fertile and well nourished and cared for to grow terrific flowers right and how the flowers grow obviously it's the soil is so um hugely important but the environment is as well Right. So there's a lot there that goes on to help the flower be the best expression of its flower self that it can be. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that I, I, I like that interplay between soil and flowers as a way to express the relationship I feel between emotion and feelings. All good. All good. Yeah. So let's start diving into this topic by debunking the biology. Okay. So. <clears throat> A lot of the podcast topics we've talked about on the show, we've talked about female and male genders as just societal expressions that are separate from your biological sex organs, because that's what gender expression Social is. expectations, right? Yes. But what makes this topic hard is that so many people try to point to the biology of different people to explain why they may feel one emotion more than another and to some extent there is an extent to which how much testosterone you have affects your emotions however no matter what your biological sex organs are you still have testosterone Some people have more testosterone than others, but we're going to find out that based off of your sexual organs, there is still little difference in how you experience emotions. So makes sense to me. Yeah. And so then it makes sense to me. I don't dispute it. Yeah. And so then the argument that people's emotions and feelings are based on their sexual organs and their 
that's uh, socially assigned. Yes. Yes. Right. That's it the binds. Man. It binds people's gender expressions to their body parts even more, even right. though that's not necessary. It, right. It it drives it drives an agenda that is not the truth. Yes. So let's get into. So what are the facts? So first off, according to Forbes, men and women are equally emotional. Uh, go look up this study because there's multiple things that they base this on. Uh, according to Psychology Today, even before birth, males have far higher testosterone levels than females. So on average, young boys actually experience more intense emotional highs at a young age, mm -hmm. which according to Psychology Today, this is how they prove that male stoicism is a product of society. And in terms of hormonal cycles, uh, a lot of the arguments that women are more emotional because they are on their period. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that female hormonal cycles last 28 days. Yeah. Male hormonal cycles last 24 hours. So uh, they experience PMS every single day. Men do? Yes. People with male sexual organs. So did any of that surprise you? Yes. The last part surprised me. Where males can have, um, can I say, can I say menstrual manifestations on a daily basis? Can I say that? Sure. Thank yes, you, you. may. <laughs> Menstruation. <laughs> We're going through it every day. That explains a lot. I'm not kidding. That explains a lot. Do you think you can guess when your hormonal highs and hormonal lows are during a day? Um, I'm going to say um, my highs are probably right around now at this time of day and my lows are i think are probably in the morning so we're catching you at peak hours in the wild <laughs> i'm nocturnal baby we're gonna make yes. you cry during this podcast <laughs> for the viewers hey i thought you said this is audio not video <laughs> too funny so there's another scientific research study i found so okay. We actually talked about this over break, and it's the serial killer gene. So if you serial up, killer, yeah. Oh right, right. Okay, I remember. Sure. So if you look up to let the listeners know what article I looked at, the Berkeley Scientific Journal, serial killer gene. It's a gene that's predisposed to make you aggressive, and the interesting thing about that is that it's mostly studied with all male samples. Is it so they've never located it in females or they've not looked at females? I don't know if it's because they haven't looked at it in females or if they, if they haven't looked for it or if they haven't found it at all. According, okay. to, according to the Berkeley Journal, most studies have only men in them and so that's why they're really only uh, there's really only enough ethos to talk about the gene in men and the idea that having that gene uh, predisposes you to aggression and then 
leads a lot of people with this gene to be serial killers. Um, Interesting. But, of course, it could be found in women. I mean, we have, if they haven't studied it in women, then we can't negate the possibility that it exists. In women. Yes. I agree. I, I think you cannot. I think you should assume that it does exist. Lizzie Borden, yes. right? So they're... Yes. Right. So, okay. Well, and because also, what does it say that they only looked for it in men? Because, and of course, when we say men, women, we mean the traditionally male sex organs, female sex organs. But um, if men are supposed to be these stoic people who don't act on their emotions then is admitting yeah you know these people are a lot of these men are predisposed to aggression is that admitting the fact that men can have emotions and act upon them or is by saying oh we're only going to look for the serial killer gene in men because men are aggressive and women are so nice they'd never kill anyone is that I mean, at some point, yes, the, the facts just are that there are more male killers than women. But are the, where, what are the assumptions here in only studying men? You know what? That's really a, an awesome question. I think there's tons of assumptions. I think you're right. I think the assumption is that it's mostly men. I have to say, I mean, Lizzie Borden, I, she's just a, not a serial murderer, right? Um, um, but I... I, I you never hear of women being serial murderers, right? It's all mm -hmm. those, you know, uh, characters whose names we hear. Um, I think that, I think that's just a fact that most of them statistically are are uh, males. But you're right; there is the assumption where it's not a complete random sample of males and females. It's 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 tough to draw unbiased conclusions. Any study has bias, right? This one, I think where you say, does it have bias? Absolutely. Where it involves gender differences, no doubt there are biases. I think that um, a lot of the questions you raise are so, in my mind, as I sit and listen to them as a 56-year-old man, thank you, Sarah, for blasting that information out to everybody. Um, <laughs> Gotta um, keep you humble. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> um, you guys do such a good job of that. I, I think that there there is a little bit of, of male agenda writing mm -hmm. that is being furthered with that conduct. And I think it's good to challenge it, right? This idea that, um, for instance, you previously said that gender doesn't predict emotional expression. I think that's really true. I mean, I really, really do. I think, I, I mean, you go past the surface, then everybody is the same. I mean, you can't tell a black person's heart from uh, an Asian person's heart from a European person's heart, right? Um, and I, I, you know, and I think at that level, you also can't tell the difference between emotional reactions. I mean, I, I think you can come out a lot closer to the level of the skin and, and even outside. And we're all the same in terms of our embrace of emotions and feelings, uh, irrespective of our genders. And where um, the writing is that this is a, a proper emotional response for a female or for a male, there's bias there. And where they're studying 
the serial killers, like on the basis of them all being men. Yeah, that's, I guess that's to say that women can't do that. Um, mm -hmm. And clearly that ignores the possible, right? You always have to consider the, the other cases. Um, that's a really heavy subject. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know we were going to do gender based differences of serial killers. Yeah, I like mean, I long have hair more... strangler, like a woman who just goes with her long hair and <laughs> strangles people. That would be, that would be pretty crazy. I mean, I have more uh, serial killer research. It just <laughs> popped up. I don't. You get this is going to give me bad dreams tonight. The serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we go back to talking about flowers and soil? Sure, sure. I feel that's the safer conversation. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you think that the stereotypes uh, give women more credit for being in touch with their emotions than perhaps is deserved? Or maybe puts pressure on them to do so? Wow. So, I all of these questions, you know, they're absolutes. And my lawyer brain is just spinning. Finding <laughs> <Right? laughs> exceptions and knowledge qualifiers and assumptions and things like that i wouldn't really um, say that i would say they're absolute questions because they're leading questions okay so i'm sure there are exceptions right there's all these mm -hmm. exceptions you have to allow for exceptions mm -hmm. i can speak to i can speak to my experience um i love women without uh, exception um Every woman who, every female that's been a part of my life, my mom, my sisters, my teachers, my co-workers, um, uh, women who've interviewed me for the many graduate programs that I've been privileged to attend that helped me to become the person I am and I like the person I am. Uh, these people who've helped me are women. Uh, so I really, really appreciate women and I think very highly of them uh being in touch with feelings and emotions being honest with yourself uh this is something that my life experience with women and females um uh has really helped me to achieve right mm -hmm. uh and and i i'm at great peace with the balance i try to maintain with my emotions and my feelings and progressing my life forward and i owe that to women right and being helpful to me to be comfortable to express myself to search my feelings to manage and control my emotions um so where we want to stereotype and say women are in touch with their emotions or their feelings and they're good at managing relationships i'm gonna say that i agree with that mm -hmm. right i agree with that and so what was the second question, honey? The second question was, uh, do you think the stereotypes give women pressure to be more in touch with their emotions than they feel they are? Huh. I think both of these questions are leading questions, I admit, that I was writing this up and being like, oh my God, like, I don't even feel fully in touch with my emotions. And I have a hard time managing how I respond. I'm going to say so yes. I, I got it. Yeah. Is there is there pressure to be in touch with your emotions, right? Is, is mm -hmm. Does society put pressure on the female to be in touch with her emotions? Mm -hmm. That's, is that your question? 
Yes, yes. I, I think so. You know what? I, I think so. Uh, and let's let's cite the evidence, okay? So, um, uh, who gets to watch the TV show? Who gets to control the remote? Um, who has to do the laundry, right? Um, whatever there's like structural expectations on women, females, that aren't, I feel, evenly distributed to males, mm -hmm. then there's the expectation that the woman's going to absorb that, female's going to absorb that, and make it okay. It's like the woman has all, is expected to have the energy to absorb the um, uh, shifting energy flow in a relationship. Like, okay, I'll just endure this. I'll, I'll go to this restaurant that I don't want to go to, but it's what makes everybody happy. So let's do that. I mean, you see that mm -hmm. a lot. I see that a lot work that uh, uh, female teammates uh, really absorb a, a lot of energy to get projects done and just kind of uh, it maybe it's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. But I think women are always counted on um, to be that glue factor, right? That keeps everything sort of together. Mm. Um, I think it's, I. I don't. I, I. I. think it's a good thing. Uh, I don't think women um, are given enough respect and mm -hmm. uh, recognition for their ability to keep the world from flying apart and yeah. the circumstances of our families and our communities. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on women to, in my experience and what I see, and um, and I and I think the if there's a stereotype that we can expect a woman to accomplish a lot and absorb a lot of emotional energy along the way, I agree with that. That's a good stereotype. I think that says good things about women, in my experience. You know, it's interesting because I think what you kind of mentioned now is a sense of female stoicism. Like yes. earlier, we talked yes. about male stoicism yes. to be like, oh, you're so manly that you push your emotions down and you are tougher than it and you don't even acknowledge it. But like what you just explained here is that like women are expected to absorb all of these negative emotions, except they like absorb it from others and they have to think through Carry on. it and like rationale, like rationalize it. And then accept it and work through it and remain stoic, but instead of getting a, throwing it away, like thinking through it to then eat it and chew it out. And also practically too, in many, many cases, not in our house. Mm -hmm. They'll have to make dinner. So I have to clean the kitchen. So I have to do the laundry. So I have to mm -hmm. go grocery shopping. So I have to pick up the dry cleaners. So I have to have the meeting with the school teacher right? yeah. to manage the table at the high school on Saturday night for yeah. the children's activity event. Yeah. Right? And so, just to clarify, when dad says not in our house, he, he means to say that, you know, he helps out too, but like doesn't push it all on to mom. Mom definitely helps. Just want to Oh, clarify. for sure. Oh, thank you very much. We love it. Right. We love it. Yeah. And, and so this is a great circumstance. Thanks for calling me out. Um, 
it's to no say it's just you know clarifying for people so it's like oh not in not in their house jen is so, lazy when literally no she's you're no she's very right now right exactly she's making dinner right now it's gonna be delicious too she's a great cook <laughs> too funny so let's talk about how you were raised okay let's you know deep dive into your aura into okay. your past do you consider yourself an emotional person yes i do why would you say that um i express my feelings through words sentiment and action and the words and sentiment and actions i express will follow what i feel inside or what um state i observe about my feelings and i uh, am inclined to act on that so i think that inclination in my mind in general is what i consider emotional right uh i think there's a spectrum of emotional that's good that's bad it's, but i'm the mean expression as the inclination to express your feeling externally i call that emotional i don't consider it pejorative i don't consider it positive it's a manifestation of your feeling that's how i would define emotional what a lawyer thanks for the thoroughness <laughs> you're welcome thanks for the opportunity to fully express myself <laughs> So who were your male role models growing up? When I was a kid, um, I liked the action heroes. I liked um, Superman and Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. um, um, I think that like male influence, a very important primary male influence for me was my big brother, Larry, right? Aww. So yeah, he shaped, he shaped a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, like being um, studious with books. Mm -hmm. and thorough right so that and and <laughs> you know getting good grades in school mm -hmm. right it's like your big brother uh, um and <laughs> he taught me how to pitch pennies and play poker <laughs> mm -hmm. and so these are um i find the pitching pennies and the poker skills <laughs> really some of those lessons that he taught me were very important um, school teachers, right? My sixth grade mm -hmm. teacher, Mr. Reno, was a really nice man, mm -hmm. right? And 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 so it, um, he was a great influence. And other teachers in high school, my math teacher, Mr. Cotier, in high school, I had him two times um, for algebra and advanced algebra, and he was very precise. I and mean, you mm. really your work had to look nice. It couldn't have crossovers. You couldn't have erasers. I mean, you really had to redo your math sheet over and over to get it perfect. Um, so he was really, he was really influential. I had professors at the U of I um, and some professors at Paul Law School. I had um, a professor for constitutional law and a professor for criminal procedure, Professor Shaman and Professor Decker. They were outstanding influences, great role models. I mean, I had gone to, to Paul um, and really 
uh, the law uh, at the Jesuit school that really opened my eyes to social justice and uh, civil rights and blessings of liberal democracy um, and uh, the importance of the law uh, as mm-hmm. a necessary and compassionate uh, social balance, the the really the highest holy order to administer it with good faith that it was really reflected to me by Professor Shaman and Professor Deco. It's funny how I ask you who your male role models are and you go on, you know, a very long list of professor this, professor that, very studious, very precise, military men, religious men, but it all started with, you know, Uncle Lair, the guy who taught me how to pitch pennies. We were drinking soda pop in the back alley. <laughs> yeah, it all starts there. So it's how fun. were you taught? How were you taught to express your feelings? How did did you learn how to express your feelings from Larry? Did your parents say like, when you're upset, do this? No, um, we really weren't. We weren't discouraged from expressing feelings, right? Um, so um, my dad was an alcoholic, so it, we tiptoed around the circumstance. And if you expressed your feelings, it might set him off. Mm. So we actually were taught to be pretty good liars about our feelings by mm. not expressing any emotion. So, and- hmm do you think that got you out of fights then at school? Like, do you think that made you pretty good at handling other people then outside? Um, it may, I feel that it, um, it drove in me a cautious inclination, <laughs> fractious uh, social circumstances. <laughs> so where um, if you're a lawyer trying to manage the transaction to closing, um, and you go into a conference room and it's a shitstorm of profanities and people swinging at each other, you're kind of able to assume that there's not going to be a closing today, that work needs to be done to bring people to yes. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think it does, Sarah. I think it does. It's interesting that you mention the idea of fist swinging in a boardroom because that brings me back to my next question which was even if you weren't you know throwing fisticuffs on the playground are there more indirect ways in which you felt men were defending their honor and trying to be aggressive i mean you are a lawyer you are in court or you've been in court at times god i'm like yeah does it feel like a male contest uh, it often, I mean, the male locker room, right? It's the dynamic that makes it, you know, mono we mono. It's pressing a lot in business. Um, yet, the, you know, any kind of litigation challenge with uh, males on the other side is going to is going to become like a macho contest. Um, and so that can be really unpleasant. I really, this is why I, I, I like, I like working with uh, women, um, you know, people who identify as female in, in business, they have good sensibilities on how to like 
just mute what should be muted and get along to to go along you know what i mean or go along to complete the, mm. the project did you know fun fact historical fun fact i learned today apparently during vietnam there was a press conference with lyndon b johnson and a journalist asked mr johnson if it's clear we're not going to gain anything from the war why is it still happening and he said all female journalists leave the room right now and they all left the room and then he took his penis out of his pants and he said this is why jesus but they like you know covered it up because you don't want the president doing that in a press meeting that's a fun fact I learned today. Okay. I mean, I really liked LBJ. I, in the context of civil rights and fighting against segregation, um, I really support President Johnson. I know that um, I've, I've heard horror stories about some things he did. Um, I have heard about him, like, pooping Wow. With the door like, open? Yeah. yeah, with the door open and like <laughs> talking to his staff that way. Right, that's the one I was thinking of. I read the book by Robert <laughs> Caro. It was really an outstanding book. Yeah, he's a complicated guy with emotions and feelings. I mean, this is a guy who was convinced that he wouldn't live to 64 because no other man in his family did. Of course, he smoked oh, wow. like 100 packs of cigarettes a day and, you know, drink bourbon and all that stuff. Um um, but I, I, I mean, imagine that. Imagine living with the emotions and feelings uh, while you're convinced that you're going to die at 64. I, can... I didn't even know that. I also didn't even know you read a book about him. It was years ago before you were born when I coincidentally met your mom and we were dating. That makes sense. I thought, gee, this man doesn't read. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> it's hard to read for pleasure yeah yeah you especially know, and, as you know stuff piles up yeah but i i do like to read i mean reading is awesome what mm -hmm. was the last the last book i read that was a book of good feelings was tale of two cities that's a book that will bring out the emotion and feeling of the male i think very Clearly, so will Les Miserables. I mean, you see the display of male feeling and male emotion in um, the story arcs of Jean Valjean from mm -hmm. Les Miserables, and um, uh, all of the characters of of Tale of Two Cities, but Sydney, Sydney, Sydney from Tale of Two Cities. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, the emotion and the feelings of both of those stories uh, told to the eyes of men. I really appreciate that, right? I mean, we talk about um, the stereotypes of women uh, being able to focus on the emotion and feeling of events and uh, our prior discussion, right? Uh, but I, I, I think that those two stories, uh, Les Miserables and Tale of Two Cities, really really show proudly, I think in a good way, the male characters there as they deal with the emotion and the feeling of their unbelievable circumstances, mm -hmm. right? Which 
I mean, in some way, I you can argue uh, it's a, a metaphor that Victor Hugo and Charles Dickens might be projecting uh, as to life, at, certainly at that time for men and the challenges and circumstances that they endured and had to get through and how they managed their feelings and their emotions to complete their hero's journey. Yeah. Um, right? So it, 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 it um, it's a fascinating subject, really, right? Yeah. The, the union of emotion and feeling and, and the, I, I, I hesitate to say division, but it is like a division, the association of emotion and feeling as between the genders and the differences there. And, and there is an interesting division, right? And I think it's interesting what you note, Sarah, that um, the biology shows there's little difference. When you account for it, there's little difference in how you might feel and emote with respect to that feeling, you know, the stimuli, right? The stimuli mm -hmm. can get the same feeling and emotional response across the genders, but society will assign one feeling to female, to women, and another feeling to men, right? Yeah. Is it so? Is it the patriarchy? Is it the man up to his old tricks, right? Denying freedom and mm -hmm. equality. I think it might be. I think it's good to challenge it. You know, you have to call it out for what it is. Yeah. Right? Specify it. Yeah. So you mentioned your time in the military. Yes, I did. How were feelings presented or addressed in that sphere? Um, I, I, I think pretty well. I mean, um, I, I was fortunate. I was in, I proudly served as a United States Naval officer, um, a Navy judge advocate. I was a Navy lawyer. What a great opportunity it was for me. I loved my time in the Navy. Uh, I worked with men and women. Um, and so it was, uh, it was um, uh, what is the word, uh, you know, equal opportunity um for men and women in the military women could serve when i served from 89 to i guess 95 um uh women you know served i served alongside women women were my uh, superior commissioned officers my supervisors my bosses my advocates um also my colleagues at um uh you know a level of uh, equality right we get out of law school we all work together as mm -hmm. as lieutenants in the um navy legal service office i i loved it i so i i mean i didn't have any i didn't see any problems or challenges with the proper display of motion and feelings in the navy i mean i I'm an old-fashioned guy, right? The United States military is the greatest organization on the planet. Um, and Okay, now Navy, that's a little Gen X. I, I'm just telling you my feelings. Uh -huh. <laughs> now, if you want some emotion with those feelings, Sarah, <laughs> I can express my emotions too. Uh, I love my time. It, it helped me. Uh, mm -hmm. The military was just a great opportunity to progress from the challenging circumstance after I graduated from law school and mm -hmm. it moved me around the country and brought me to San Francisco and to your mom. Uh, so I just have every great thing in the world to say about my time in the Navy. I'm really grateful for it. Mm -hmm. 
That's interesting but, to hear. Because I yeah. definitely, I mean, I, I'm, to be honest. I mean, nothing's perfect. I, I, I know it's not. Yeah. I mean, but I don't, I don't, it's not, yeah. I'm, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't want to talk about um, what's wrong. I like to talk about what's right. And if yeah. things can be made better, let's talk about um, making things better in the context yeah. of something that could be made better. Yeah. Right? So. And because even with the military, like I was thinking just in terms, like just the amount of men, you know, but um, and well, you're young being... and you're single and you're a female. So you would think about those things. Excuse me. I was thinking that for, you know, thousands of years, militaries in, you know, ancient Rome and Sparta were, yeah. you know, men and the symbol right. of manliness. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Right. But um, so that's just kind of where I was wondering, huh, I wonder then what that dynamic is like. But obviously it makes sense if you're with a diverse group of like genders. And also to um, to clarify to the listeners, uh, he was a lawyer. He did go through boot camp. He did go through boot camp. Um, but, uh, this man has not seen battle. I'm oh, sorry to explain. Thank you, you, Jesus. Thank you. I hope no one ever sees battle. Uh, I was a staff car officer. This is true. I could write stern letters, you know. And he could... did, he did big stuff. He did do big stuff in the military. Uh, but he never held a gun. Or he did hold a gun for boot camp, but you know. Uncle Mike, no, no, it wasn't a boot camp. Right? Uncle Mike took me to the firing range in like mm. Denisha. Oh, it was terrible. I couldn't hit anything. I was like, those guns are really heavy. And they like, when you try and hold them, they make, and you point them up in the air, they like make circles. You can't stop like making. I didn't have, I, I was not able to shoot a gun. I don't think that you want to assign me any position where I have to shoot a gun. I'm, Somebody's gonna get hurt. <laughs> yeah. It's likely to be me. So I really, I object to holding a gun. I don't. Well, and mom can shoot a gun. We know. Your mother, this. she's a great shot. I know she's like with the twenty-two. No, I'll stand behind your mom. Yeah, she yeah. Also, just to clarify to the listeners, my mom knows how to shoot a gun because she stayed at a cabin often in her childhood, not because she owns a gun. Just to clarify, but you know, she is known as a good shot. When Dead she needed Jen. to do it. They call her Dead Eye Jen. Did they really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're so funny, Dad. <laughs> so let's talk about therapy. Okay. So there's a very long history behind therapy and, you know, psychiatry and why there's a prominence of women in therapy. I actually, last fall, I took a class called Feminism and Theater Performing Hysteria with the professor Alexi Grunenko. And for the listeners, in my episode with Sean about Taylor Swift, we mentioned both having classes from that professor on madness in theater. His was madness in musical theater, and mine was feminism and theater performing hysteria but it was the same professor a lot of similar works and so a lot of what i know about this is by taking a semester long course um but so the word hysteria derives from the word hysteris 
which is the ancient Greek word for uterus. Because the ancient Greeks believed that hysteria was caused by a woman's uterus floating around her body and uh, making her hysterical. Uh, And so because of that, it was deemed a woman's disease. And Mm. there's a lot of evidence of of this in literature. In King Mm. Lear, he has a Mm. speech Mm. where he says, I feel the woman rise in me. Uh, as a way to describe his tears. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so during the rise of neurology and psychotherapy, the two biggest leaders in this being Jean-Martin Charcot and Sigmund Freud, Mm. both of them acknowledged that men had hysteria and had mental health issues, but Mm -hmm. still most of their patients were women. And so because most of their patients were women, they actually had a lot of their theories be based on um, female anatomy. So, for example, Charcot believed that one of the tenets of a hysterical attack was pain in your left ovary or your right ovary, I forget, but like one of the ovaries. And so that was a theory he started with women. And then as he tried to map the same process in men, he didn't say, oh, the pain is in the ovary. He would say, oh, the pain is in the right lower abdomen, but still like where the ovary would be. So there's the idea that the hysterical model is built upon female anatomy. And of course, in the Victorian times, which is when Freud and Charcot lived, um, obviously it was a patriarchal system and a lot of women were traumatized at that time and were forced to suppress that trauma. So that's Mm -hmm. probably why a lot of women had to go to the hospital and with going to the hospital and they were disempowered right they had no credit they couldn't walk out and set up their own house and live at peace yeah uh uh, uh, imagine um you know imagine there are lots of women that didn't want to be married to the men that they had to be married to Mm -hmm. through arrangement or something like that they were disempowered and disabled um i i i listen I, I mean, I've been in circumstances, not in the military, but I've been mm-hmm. in professional circumstances where I've been completely stripped of my voice and my ability to affect an outcome that I wanted. Um, it, it, it'll drive you off a wall. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, and it's funny, right? It's like, because in it, those circumstances, I'm permitted to hit the roof. Yeah. You want to see what I can do? You want to go to uh, the law courts and have litigation and be, it's like, I can do all that. Right? Yeah. Those women back in, was that the 19th century Victorian era? Yeah, 1800s. I mean, they're they all like, totally, I mean, how would you like to be, and, and, and now let's take into account the fact that those women at that time, of, in terms of IQ, right, there is a, a distribution like yeah. there would be for male, every population. Yeah. And there are the mean IQ, I'm going to tell you, is like the mean IQ in males at that time, because there's really on that basis, I don't think natively, mm-hmm. a whole controlling for education. Yeah. But um, uh, imagine being women back there, especially at that time, you know, like 
women that can do stuff and they're not being allowed to do stuff right they're being kept at home they're in marriages mm -hmm. that are arranged they they're denied credit they're denied economic opportunity yeah right uh, the ability to self-proclaim and self-progress and then and then freud comes along and says oh yeah you need therapy it's like i need you to get your foot off my neck right like justice um 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 ginsburg said right get your yeah you know and then it's like and the fact that you react to it oh that's your hysteria right there's the male power structure assigning the emotional state it's like no it's not hysteria it's anger screw you right it's yeah. like why are you denying me my fundamental human rights on the basis of your perception of my gender yeah right? well and a lot of um well and one person in particular i forgot who it was but one male doctor theorized that one of the leading causes of hysteria in young women was boredom it's that um victorian women if they were higher class they couldn't do yard work uh they couldn't cook they couldn't clean they couldn't tend a garden because that was seen as you know below them servants work they had servants to do the laundry and the cooking and but of course they couldn't work work so they just had to sit around the house and do their needlework and their piano and wait for the men to come home and there was the belief that that drove them crazy and of course you drive me crazy uh, you know yeah. i mean i guess you shouldn't you know be loose with the, the vernacular of that word but i wouldn't like it yeah i would be quite upset yeah and for the women who um obviously had more substantial trauma uh obviously leaving your life behind to live at a mental health hospital <sighs> Um, which is what some of these women did. They would move into these mental health hospitals for years for Charcot to look in on them. Obviously, oh, it's God. not ideal, but think about <sighs> the alternative. They went from a situation where they were, where it was unhealthy and where they couldn't express their emotions, and suddenly they show up to this hospital with other women who are feeling something similar, and they can finally say their emotions out loud. And a man goes, I hear you. I acknowledge your emotion. And then on top of that, they're probably. What does that mean? If, if they, <laughs> well, it's just the idea that they didn't get that initial acknowledgement. And so to oh. finally have someone say, That's I an see advance. your okay. emotions as I it know. is, and you can say them to me. I mean, it's something so little we take for granted every day. Right. Right. That I can just say to you, hey, dad. I'm feeling upset and here's why, and that you can acknowledge it. But that was not an automatic luxury for them. And then on top of that, if we think about it from like, sadly, an abuse perspective, the hospital gave them um, a way to get rid of to get away from toxic situations. Yeah, it's a life. It's a lifeline. Right. And I mean, if the husband was just a punishing figure in that relationship and, and driving the woman to the edge of madness, right? Mm -hmm. The time in the hospital was uh, well-deserved for her, right? It was 
sanctuary, a refuge. Um, I, I've heard stories. I, I have to say, Sarah, I bring a bias to this. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I know both of these uh, scientists are so instrumental in psychotherapy and the subject is psychotherapy. And I think therapy is very good um, where it's beneficial. I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that, um, that they were always so beneficial, especially to their, to their, you know, female patients. Oh, definitely you know not. So I have kind of a, I have kind of a bias about those particular guys. Oh, definitely not. And, um, the, and, and that's fine. Yeah, and the crazy thing is that it was actually Charcot and Freud who made things better, if you can believe it. I mean, there are still yeah. huge issues. Before, before then, there was, uh, there was, uh, there was, uh, there was, there was no acknowledgement that yeah. that women were entitled to have emotional expression. Right. Yeah, it was just asylums. Right. And even right. if you had something as simple as postpartum depression, there I read an account <laughs> last semester about a woman who was struggling from postpartum depression in Australia right. at the time. And they're like, wow, that's crazy. She's really sad and she's being irrational. Got to put her into the asylum for the rest of her life. Yeah, I, I think that um, so on the subject of therapy, and on the subject of Freud and Charcot, mm -hmm. um, I'm glad they 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 opened an ability for all of us. And mm -hmm. let me say, I'm not surprised that there was women that led the way for all of us to receive therapy for yeah. our emotions and feelings and any disconnection there. So I know with interest that, that uh, uh, women, right, females that. Mm -hmm feel you know free to share their emotions and share their feelings and help us all understand the good basis of seeking therapy for the disconnections that arise between between feelings and emotions so i think okay on the larger issue of, of therapy i think it's a very good thing um and mm -hmm. i i think that where it can explore and help you understand whatever might disconnect your emotions from your feelings I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good practical thing. And I think that sometimes it was like, for me, it's controlling your emotions, right? Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's like, oh, you have to control your emotions. It's like, yes, of course you have, but sometimes you're just so, you know, on fire with the feeling that it's, it's hard to keep the excess of the feeling um, in the control of socially appropriate emotion but that is like raises the issues like what is socially appropriate is determined by others not yeah. necessarily you and where your emotion expresses your feeling i think that that you own it yeah you're well, it's your it's your flower right yeah well and how were you taught to view therapy growing up so negatively Mm -hmm. Right, uh, my dad <laughs> derided that, um, and 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 so really, and I I, I think for um, um, most of the time growing up, I understood that therapy was not something, um, you know, it was not it was 
it was not the strong man that needed therapy. Mm. Maybe the weaker man needed therapy. Mm. Interesting. Well, I have I'm, I have interesting statistics from today. Oh, okay. Let's hear therapy. So, okay. when it comes to therapists themselves, seventy point four percent of all therapists are women. While 24.7% are men mm -hmm. and uh, one in three people in therapy are men. The amount of men in therapy has gone up from 2002 to 2020. In 2002, 8.7% of men went to therapy. In 2020, that number was 11.3% for women. How many women? Yeah. Yep. For women in 2002, 16.9% went to therapy. And then in 2020, that number became 22.2. Uh, so that's pretty much a, a ratio wise, a similar growth, mm -hmm. though. And still, I'm surprised that even with women, that number is pretty small. It's pretty much now a little over one in five women. Uh, but now what that looks like is then that half the amount of men go to therapy than women. One in ten men go to mm -hmm. therapy. As in and one in five women go to therapy? I, yes. I, I'm surprised. I think that the number is very low. I, yeah. um, and also I, these are, these. as I said, it was in 2020, but I don't know if they counted that 2020 after the pandemic hit or before, you know? Well, you always have to dig into the study design and how they collected mm -hmm. the data. So, um, but assuming it's all a sufficient random sample and good design and robust mm -hmm. review and the conclusions are solid, it's the two to one is interesting. The relative growth rates are interesting. What I've, a couple things, I, I'm not surprised that with three quarters of the therapists are women, um, but on the same hand, I would have thought it was maybe like 55, 45. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would have thought that it would have been a closer split just because, you know, I mean, people are people. But where I think that's statistically significant. I think the fact that three quarters of women are, are therapists, that speaks to the idea that women are most sentient and mm -hmm. inclined to... to be able to manage and absorb the emotional circumstances is often set by yeah. the male energy. In my At least opinion. try to understand emotions. Right, exactly. Um, and then so, and then the second statistic I found interesting was that even at 22% of women, one out of five women and one out of 10 men seeking therapy mm -hmm. in 2022, and it seems low. Uh, yeah. That seems, I would, I, I would, think that i mean there's a lot of stuff that we're dealing with i would think that more people would be seeking therapy these are complex times yeah well i mean of course i said this was before i can't tell how covid specific the numbers are but i do have generational data and oh, as sure. as i'm about to say this generational data i'm like you know maybe this I took the generational data and the gender-based data from two different sites. And so I'm thinking that the oh, average okay. for the generational, generational data is higher. But, well, let's hear it. Let's hear it let's and speculate it. wildly. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. So the site I found says that 37% of people in my generation, Gen Z, are in therapy, 35% of millennials, 26% of Gen X, and 22% of baby boomers. So that also makes me to wonder about a potential generational stigma. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense because now culturally it's uh, easier for men to speak about anxiety, panic attacks, and, and um, going to therapy. I mean, just the other day um, I was watching uh, Kelly and Ryan with your mom on the playback and they were interviewing George Stephanopoulos and his wife, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, George Stephanopoulos worked for president Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, And now he's on good morning America. Um, and he was telling the story about when he interviewed President George W. Bush, and he said he just had, had a complete panic attack and just cascaded in sweat. He said that President wow. Bush was really nice and very patient and helped him out and stuff like that. Um, so I, but I appreciated him sharing that. And then there's any number of male public figures that speak openly about seeking therapy or having problems with anxiety being sexually assaulted and dealing with that um still long term emotionally so i i i i can i as a 56 year old man as opposed to a 66 year old man i i can i can see the difference that um uh different social tolerance for men expressing their need for therapy or the desire to receive therapy to better understand their emotions and feelings. Now I do, I think it's more tolerant. So I think that's a good observation. Especially my generation is super vocal about the need for therapy and the need. Oh, you guys are great. Physical wellness. Yeah. You're going to save this world. Your generation is going to save this world. Hopefully. I mean, there is, um, I was reading that book you gave me for Christmas about astrology one up on wall street (laughs) no (laughs) oh the other one exactly exactly but um apparently we're in the age of aquarius and part of the age of aquarius is marked by or maybe it wasn't the age of aquarius but it was like neptune was in somewhere like Neptune was. In well, we should know what it is. Something, I mean, because Age of Aquarius, book, man, that's some powerful stuff. Yeah, but there was something in the book to suggest that now, since it's like the 2000s, people want to make the world a better place, and mm-hmm. it can possibly explain all of the social justice and the need for reform and the need to question capitalism and decolonize and etc etc and of course i mean there's social movements always in multiple parts of history but you know it's one theory for i love it i mean it's the basis to be up i'm sorry honey oh just keep going no it's one basis one more basis to be optimistic i embrace that i i think that's wonderful yeah yeah so now we get to the premiere segment of the podcast. Convince Chad. Imagine this, Dad. You are 
walking through an office. You're about to do a business deal with these guys. And you walk into the boardroom, and there's this guy, Chad. He's sitting at the head of the table. He's kind of being a little jerky. And he snaps at one of his subordinates, and then all of a sudden he starts crying. And he, but he's choking it back. He's like, no, I, I don't feel things. I, I'm sorry. No, this isn't me. It's just that my dog died, but no, ugh, I don't feel anything. Ugh. And you are like, you know, this Chad, he really needs to just let it out. He needs to feel his feelings. And now you need to convince Chad in his language, his bro, you know, alpha male, tough guy tongue. Hey, dude, feel your feelings. Oh, this is not my situation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that kind of lawyer. <laughs> um, Wow. Okay. This is a tough one, right? I mean, I want to ask all sorts of uh, questions uh, to clarify assumptions. What's my role? What's my responsibility? But uh, it's improv. Yes, and. Okay. I mean, it's a human condition, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a it's a human condition. I guess I'd ask them what kind of dog he had, mm -hmm. and, and ask them if you want to talk about the dog, and I'd go from there, mm -hmm. right? And I assess his feelings. I mean, some, you know, if this is okay, ask Chad, bro. I mean, you're like really focusing me on male energy, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, the male energy, as you say, as you know, is rewarded for being stoic, right? So, um, where he's fighting back the tears and manifesting the stoicism, right? I can't be all huggy with him and hi, pal, I'm sorry. I mean, if it mm -hmm. were you, I could wrap you in my arms and, and hold you and absorb all of your tears, right? And mm -hmm. replace it with all of my love. So this is what I would do for you. And I, your brother, I would do the same thing for him. Mm -hmm. And my dear men friends whom I know I can comfort in that way. That's what I would mm -hmm. do for them. But a, a bro named Chad in a conference room in LA closing the big deal, having an emotional meltdown. It's like, I got to close this thing. I got to get this guy's signature on the paper. I got to figure out what's in his head. I got to get this done. This is what I'm thinking. <laughs> right? So I really, I seriously am. And I just say, hey, you know, how's your dog? Or you want to talk about your dog? Feeling on that? How do you, you want to take a break? Slow this down? How can I help you? Mm -hmm. Right? And and the point here is I want you to feel that you have and know that you have all the room to think about your dog and make this a special moment for you uh, with your dog. And if you permit me to, I love dogs. I have a dog, Toby, right? He's a special dog for me. Um, so I'm here, right? Can how do you feel about us getting through this together? You know, thinking about our dogs and making this a moment for them. 
I think this is how I would try to see if he had feelings uh, I, uh, that I could t associate with or identify or try to help him embrace and, uh, you know, suggest that a, a good way to control and channel the emotion associated with that feeling is let's get this deal closed for your dog and for Toby. Well, you know, we'll... I think... I think in response to that, Chad sniffles a little bit, and he's like, thanks, man. Oh, I really yay. feel bonded to you now. Oh. I'm going to sign. Let's get a beer after we sign. There you go. <laughs> We're going to be rich. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the podcast, Dad. I was such a privilege, such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah. I loved it. I loved every minute with you. Thank you. And to all the listeners... See you next time.